Welcome back to another episode of the Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again, flying the ship solo as we kick off a new month, as we dive into November with our Sports Bonanza Month. That's right, we are doing sports all month long. Um, <clears throat> it's not just going to be a straightforward, you know, talk about our teams kind of thing, um, you know, talk about the latest scores, who's who's going to be traded, who should be cut, that kind of stuff. I mean, we're going to get into some of that, but I also want to... I also uh, <clears throat> want to get into some sports movies, sports TV shows, um, stuff like that. Some of the enter- some of the uh, some of the portions where entertainment and sports collide. So it's going to be more than just um, it's going to be more than just uh, scores and rosters and, and and you know various moves that our that our teams are making. But that will be a part of it for to be certain. Um, and it does depend a little bit on who I can get on the show. Trying to. Trying to work out some schedules with some people right now to see if they want to jump on and uh, and uh, you know give us their two cents on on various things. So we'll see how that breaks down. But it, we are gonna we are gonna be dedicated to sports all month long, just uh, a little bit differently than we normally do, I suppose. In fact, we are gonna start off. We're gonna kick off the. But well, actually, by the time this airs, we'll have already put uh, a few tr- sports trivia questions online uh, on our on the Instagram page. But we'll also. Um, it, but this episode will also kind of. Uh, kind of be a good little warm-up um you know a, a good a good kickoff to to the whole month as we're going to be doing some trivia on this episode as well but uh, obviously like i said we're going to be doing a little bit more than that um so here's how essentially every every episode is going to be kind of formatted um i'm going to open it up with you know with an intro uh, you know maybe there's something specific we have to you know to talk about uh, in the sports world that'll be kind of left open to um left open to whatever uh whatever big sports news of the day comes down you know someone someone major gets suspended or injured there's a huge trade a huge signing something like that we'll we'll give a few minutes to it at least to talk about it um we're also going to we're also going to I'm also going to give a, a sports grievance, my current sports grievance every single episode. There's something that there's just something the way I think everyone has some kind of issue or some kind of beef with their favorite sport or their favorite team or whatever and that kind of changes or maybe it even grows year to year, maybe there's a new grievance year to year. I have plenty of these grievances with the with the way sports, the direction that sports has been going uh, in recent years. Um, and I feel like it'd be a good, this is going to be a good platform to get some of those issues out. And then uh, obviously we're going to cover whatever the subject at hand is. In this case, we'll be doing some quick trivia. Um, should be a lot of fun. And then, uh, we're going to have some crossover questions. Uh, just some stuff that's going to kind of linger from episode to episode. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll pick up the answers. Probably we'll pick up the answers, um, or some ideas in the following intro, uh, intro of the next episode, or maybe it might even be in the main body the main subject of whatever episode we're talking about. So we're going to intro it. We're going to give our current sports grievance, talk about whatever we're going to talk about, and then we're going to kind of formulate some crossover questions that uh, should uh, should lead into other episodes. That's how we're going to do it this month. It's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, again, sports is a little bit more more so than, um, you know, we cover, we cover war movies or we're covering... Um, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter when, when you're covering something that's a little bit more subjective, um, versus sports, which is versus sports, which is a little bit more black and white. Um, but there is some gray area to talk about and poke into. So we'll be doing some of that as well. So I think, and I do think that, um, this kind of flows with, 
how we used to how when we were doing more uh open-ended episodes um you know we didn't have theme months or anything like that uh november was almost always a pit stop for sports and i think it's a good month to do sports it just feels like it just feels like we are it just feels like about every you know two to three months it's a good time to stop and talk about the various sports that are being played um you know enough time has passed in certain seasons Oh, you know, enough time has passed in certain seasons that we're kind of like in the middle of them, right? We're um, we're right now we're in the middle of, of football season. Uh, we we've we've gotten enough um, we've gotten enough uh, NBA uh, under our belts and NHL for that matter under our belts that uh, we are, you know, we can begin kind of answering questions about our, our various teams uh, or you know or the various you know who's. We can right now. You can kind of point to who's a contender, who's not a contender, who needs to get off to, who needs to get things going, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff in all the leagues, um, <clears throat> as opposed to if we were to do sports like every single week or even every single month, if we had like a sports episode, um, some of that would kind of be there. There just wouldn't be as many updates, um, important updates, I guess is the way to put it um, for for various teams. You know for Especially for teams that um, you know just aren't in it, right? Like we don't need to check in on some of the teams that we are, we know aren't going to be in it. Uh, but you know, checking in on them like once or once or twice a year—that's you know maybe even three times a year, four times a year—that seems a little bit more. Um, you know, you can kind of generate a little bit more of a story from some of the also ran teams as well. Um, it also feels like a good sports month. It just—I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the living in the Midwest, growing up in the Midwest. This feels this month feels like one of your more most sportsy months. Um, you know, you have again, you have football being played, both college and pro football being played. Um, we're gonna have the you know the Thanksgiving Day game was you know started here in the Midwest, started in Detroit. Um, obviously, it, it, there's multiple Thanksgiving Day games uh, now, both at college and college and the pro football level. Um, it just it, you know it just feels like sports is one of those things that just goes goes coincides really well with the fall. Um, so just November has always felt like a good sports month as well. So I guess here's here's the ultimate quandary, though. Are you a fall sports person or a spring sports person? Because I think, again, like November is a great time. Like the World Series is just wrapped up. College and pro football are rolling. Hockey and hockey and basketball are getting underway. Uh, college college basketball is about ready to start as well. You know, you have three out of the four sports, uh, major sports being played. Um it's it's a it's a great time you know and we're coming down the stretch with with football uh obviously pro and college football we're coming down the stretch as well um so you have that going for you in the fall or are you more of a spring person when you have baseball starting up um you know we have the nba and college basketball winding down obviously the the nba is getting closer to uh a little bit closer to the playoffs and then you have the then you have uh, march madness obviously all of march and usually the first weekend of april um, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, already mentioned pro baseball, uh, you know, ma- major league baseball is getting ready to go. Um, same with, uh, college baseball has already started as well. If you're into that, plus hockey is heading towards its, um, hockey is heading towards its playoffs as well towards the Stanley cup playoffs. So it is sort of a, I, I guess it's, I guess if you are a football person, I would assume that you would be more into fall. Although, you know, there are, there are. You know, now that the UXF, the USFL and the XFL have merged, um, you know, we kind of have, we're going to have uh, one, you know, one spring uh, football league that will, 
I assume have a longer schedule than either than either entity had uh, on its own. So there's going to be some football during the spring as well. But I suppose it kind of boils down to if you're a big bigger football fan or I would probably say if you're a bigger football fan or a bigger baseball fan is really kind of what it boils down to, whether you're a fall or or spring sports person, right? Because, you know, if you're if you're a big baseball fan, you're it's it's the beginning of a, it's the beginning of the marathon and kind of the uh, the beginning of the of the you know, I suppose it's your first opportunity to make some big overreactions and, and big statements and stuff like that before the the grind of the baseball season really starts. Even the first month of the baseball season is still kind of everything still feels kind of new until you really begin to settle into the games and then it does feel a little bit longer once you get to June and obviously football you know we get in the fall we get the start and the sort of you know we get the whole the whole breadth of the football season in the fall um and obviously leading into the winter as we get into the the playoff games uh in both college and pro and, and obviously the championship games so I guess it's there, there. Put that out there for you. Are you? Let me know in the comments. Are you a fall or a spring sports person, and why are you a fall or a spring sports person? Maybe you're neither. Maybe you're one of those weirdos who loves the summer sports. You just kind of love the. Uh, I always put it this way: like I, you know, the baseball grind gets along, um, and then obviously we're we're in that in between period of of hockey, basketball, and football. Um, you know, where baseball really is kind of controlling the show, but there is a more leisurely pace to life in the summer generally anyway. And baseball seems to fit that more leisurely, leisurely pace during the summers. So maybe, maybe you're not a fall or spring person. You are in fact a, the summer sports person. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm sure that they are out there. Okay. So let's jump into my first grievance here. And my first grievance is with streaming exclusive games. And um, if you're if you are unaware, if you're not that into sports, um, as more and more networks have their own streaming services, um, part of the negotiation with various sports entities, you know, the leagues or or even the individual teams, part of the um, part of the agreement is to get more and more of their of, of those games onto streaming services exclusively. Um, in some cases, and we'll get into some of the details here in a little bit. In some cases, it's not one hundred percent exclusive, but um, but the but you know the the vast majority of people are only going to be able to access certain games if they sign up for if they sign up for or already have certain uh, streaming services. And I'm not going to be one of those people that pretends to be naive about this. I am not naive about this. These streaming exclusive games exist simply because every team or every league is trying to increase the amount of money they make every year, right? Like I'm not, I am not Pollyanna about that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the major sports leagues and even college sports, they exist to make money. That is why they're there. That is the only reason why they're there. They're not there to deliver a product just because they, they want us to feel civic pride or have something to enjoy. They're there so they can reach into our pockets and take as much money out of them as they possibly can. In fact, Several leagues have a CRO, it's a chief revenue officer, whose only job is to increase the revenue streams and thus increase the cash flow that every single league um, that every single league gets. Um, most teams, uh, most pro teams have a CRO as well. There's a chief revenue officer working, uh, <clears throat> working the details out of, be it media rights deals or even smaller stuff just like ad buys and things like that. 
there is a chief revenue officer for most professional teams that is just working on ways to make the team more money. Um, this works a little bit different in college um, because like the individual entities don't have, they don't have like the athletic director at Ohio state or Texas or you know Penn state, Michigan, whatever they don't, they have more responsibilities than just one team. Although realistically speaking, if you're the athletic director at Texas or Ohio state or something, um, probably 80% of your attention is on one team. However, there's it, the, the just the way the, the revenue streams work in college. It's just a little bit different, and more often than not, it's determined on a conference-to-conference basis versus team-to-team basis. So it's, it's, it works a little bit different, but there's still someone, um, you know, there's still someone working on behalf of the Big Ten. Like, there's a CEO of the Big Ten. Uh, I think it's, I think it's Kerry Kenny, but I could be, I could be wrong on that. Um, part of their responsibility, even though there isn't explicitly a chief revenue officer for the Big Ten, the CEO, the chief executive officer, has those responsibilities as well to just increase increase the revenue for the Big Ten as much as possible. So I am not naive about this. I know all about this. I'm into this kind of stuff, and it's totally fine. Get, get the money where you can get it, and I know that it's going to be a bigger deal. Well, it is a bigger deal now that um, – now that NIL money play is going to play a bigger portion, bigger part into, not that they have, not that the schools have to worry about paying players necessarily, but the NIL money can can sway certain players towards certain teams. So you know, it, it's there's this whole the whole business side of college sports has just become a little bit has become a little bit more important than it was in the past because of the the sort of the additional um, how, how would I say this the additional um, sources of cash flow that have been injected into college football in recent years, it's changed a little, it's changed the, it's changed things quite a bit for college sports. But anyway, here's my problem with these streaming exclusive games. There a lot of them are, like I said, a lot of them are streaming, streaming exclusive games to the majority of the country. And that's totally fine. But more and more, we are getting streaming exclusive games that actually block out the markets that they're current that the game is happening in. Um, that shouldn't happen under any circumstance. Doesn't matter how much money, um, doesn't matter how much money NBC and, and Peacock are giving the Big Ten. There shouldn't be a single game that is black. Excuse me, had <clears throat> a cough there. Um, there shouldn't be a single game in the local markets that is blacked out and unavailable. Uh, you know, everyone if recently in the Big Ten we've had. Uh, I want to say the Washington and Michigan State game was early earlier in the season was uh, I think it was Washington and Michigan State. I, I could be I could be conflating a, a couple of games there, but I think that was the, the early game that got um, that was totally unavailable to anyone but Peacock uh, Peacock users. Um, Michigan or excuse me, Ohio State and Purdue was another game that was totally unavailable to uh, anyway anybody but Peacock subscribers. And that is just a bunch of bullshit. If you're going to have Michigan State and USC, for example, which is a, a, that's going to be a, a, a real matchup in the coming years as USC and UCLA um, move into the Big Ten, that game, be it football or basketball or if it's goddamn wrestling or track and field, doesn't fucking matter. That game, that match, that meet uh, between the teams should be available in Lansing and it should be available in Los Angeles on TV, over the air, or on cable. And everyone else, then, if, if you are in Ohio, if you are in Florida, and you really want to watch that game, then you can go ahead and feel free to pay for Peacock or pay for um, 
uh, oh gosh, I don't know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, YouTube TV or or Hulu, you know, with its live sports offering, feel free to pay for it um, in, the, in the, that way, right? But it should be 100% completely available to the people in the markets that are watching the game. And this is the current, or should say that are involved in the game. And this is the current Amazon Prime model, right? Like when you watch a game, the Thursday Night Football game on Prime, and I'm, I think they have other games as well as the season goes on. They have a few like weekend games or whatever. But if the, the Browns are playing the Steelers on, on Thursday Night Football, in Cleveland and Pittsburgh, you can still watch that game on, um, on I can't remember, I think it's, on, it's either on CBS or it's on NBC. Um, but you can watch that game on the air, on over the air or on cable for free. There is nothing else you have to pay for. Um, same with um, I, I know there's a, you know there's some other. Oh gosh, I, I know there's another. Uh, there's a couple other there's a couple other uh, streaming services that have games like this. If they if they are going to be on a certain a certain streamer, then they they're still available in the local. They're still available in the local market. But for the most part, we are seeing more and more games um, that aren't available to the local market. Be it uh, Apple TV has baseball games that are not that are not available in the local market. As I mentioned before, Peacock has football games, uh, football and baseball games um, actually that are not available in the local market. Um, the NFL Network has some exclusive, you know, has some exclusive streaming games. Um, it's usually what it usually is, is are those. Um, the uh, the games in Europe are usually the ones that are the uh, or the NFL NFL Network or NFL you know whatever their online version of NFL Network is called um, is usually the only place to watch one of those games. Uh, so it does happen even with the NFL's own network, but it's it's much it's much more rare that and it, and the situation is a little bit different since the since there is. Technically speaking, they're not playing in a local market. They're playing in a different market in a different territory. And there's a whole different negotiation that goes into that. But regardless, there are more and more of these um, of these games. There are more and more of these games that are that are streaming exclusive. I don't think I don't think Amazon, the Amazon Prime Thursday night game, will ever become one hundred percent streaming one hundred percent streaming exclusive. But I say that, but I'm sure there is some absurd price that if Amazon is willing to pay it, the NFL would then say, fine, you guys can have this game 100% exclusively. But I just don't think it'll have, they're already paying like a billion dollars for Thursday night rights. So I can't imagine what, I don't know, I don't know that there is a truly amount, even for a company like Amazon, I truly don't think that there is a, just an open checkbook to give them as much money as possible, you know, to give them all the money in the world. So I have a feeling the Amazon, the Amazon game will always be available in the in the markets that the that the teams, the in the markets of the teams that are involved, and realistically speaking, this isn't just coming from sort of like the fan side of this. There is overwhelming evidence that the more games you move to streaming, the less people will watch those games, and fewer eyeballs equals less revenue. I mean, it's just very simply that's how it works. Um, there, you know, the there have been games. I, I, and I wish I had this article up. Of course, I don't feel like I don't feel like finding it right now. Um, there was a there's a college football game last year, and same matchup this year was on. Um, I believe it was on Peacock, and the numbers dropped off drastically 
from the college football game this year versus last year. And few, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, obviously this is again negotiated as part of the part of the deal, the TV rights deal with NBC. But it's very clear that the more that these happen, the less people watch them. And there's very, very good evidence that streaming platforms haven't saved TV whatsoever. There was once upon a time we thought that once upon a time we thought that that streaming TV was absolutely 100% the future. You can go back and find articles uh, once once streaming really began to pick up steam. Um, you can go ahead and find all the articles that were painting streaming as sort of the savior for um, for the for the creativity that was being lost to procedurals um, and and kind of the rent you know the copy and paste sort of um, TV shows that were permeating um, network TV. You know, we thought streaming was going to be the answer, the magic bullet, and it turns out it's not at all. Um, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the you know the the recent Hollywood strikes. In fact, they're as, at the time of this recording, they've all now ended, um, or you know at least their tentative deals were reached. So I mean, you know, something I suppose something could happen, and in the hours between me recording this and posting this, that sends things backwards. But as of right now, things have been resolved, um, at least tentatively resolved with the actors as well. Um, but streaming hadn't saved tv it has made tv more complicated um in fact sports seems to be the only thing keeping the current tv model alive um the nfl had like 75 of the top 100 tv programs uh, uh network tv programs the nfl had 75 percent of them um even even a regular there was um you know recently there was a report on the world series being the lowest rated world series um of all time and actually if you look uh, since the the Cubs and Indians, Indians then 2016 World Series, there's been a pretty steady drop off in the in the eyeballs that have watched um, that have watched that have watched the the World Series on network TV. Part of that certainly is people watching it on streaming. I think I watched, pretty sure I watched every single game on streaming this year. Um, so that that is a part of it. But you know, there's obviously people just are losing are losing some interest in sports, and you could say, but it's very possible that well, hey, you know, the less the, the less available you're making sports, uh, the the fewer people uh, or the more people are going to lose interest in it. But point being here that even even a lowly rated even a lowly rated World Series game on Fox that draws like a seven point you know a seven point eight or eight point nine peak or whatever you know that's almost like nine million viewers, let's say that still would place it in like the top three of that night. And if you're going to tell Fox that, Hey, I can guarantee you that um, obviously Fox would like seven games as opposed to five for their world series. But if you told Fox, Hey, you're going to have five nights, you're going to have at least the top three show um, in a, in a time period where um, there are obviously there's nothing really much new being shown at this point because of, because of the, because of the previous strikes um, but also like even, even with a full slate of TV shows that would still be one of the better performing shows in a, in a period where Fox really isn't rolling out with anything particularly new. So this is still getting eight, seven, eight, nine, ten million viewers is still a huge win for any network, um, at any point in time. So if, when you begin to prune and pull more and more games, and especially if you get to pull bigger and bigger games, off of the over the air or off cable, the fewer and fewer people that are going to watch it, and the fewer and, and fewer people that should say more people are going to lose interest in it. Um, it's just it's very very simple. That's just what's going to happen. And I think there there are additional 
there are additional and very interesting ramifications for college sports. This is college sports is very much a sport that is driven by TV. And obviously from the, from the viewership side, um, you know, you think about it, you know, maybe you went to, maybe you went to Ohio state, but for work, you've moved to Florida. It is really, and you're still a big Ohio state fan, obviously, because that's the school you went to. It's the school you maybe even played a sport there at Ohio state, maybe you played basketball or football at Ohio state. So you you want to stay connected to the program, even though you live um, hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. And TV is your, is your best way to do that. And, so, you know, there's that portion of it, but there's also this very different portion of, of college sports that uh, the other sports don't really have. And again, mostly speaking, almost exclusively speaking about football and basketball, but since schools can't endlessly recruit in person, there there are recruiting rules about how often you can pay certain recruits visits. So that's why it's certain games are, are a bigger deal for schools, um, you know, like the Ohio State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, stuff like that's going to be a big deal for both Ohio State and Penn State or both Ohio State and Michigan. It's a chance to get all their top flight recruits in person to see a game, to see a big important game, right? Because they can't like make 100 visits to every single recruit. If they could, they would. But since they can't, one of the a lot of the first impression that some of these high school kids get of any school that they might be interested in uh, you know, be it football, be it ba- you know, be it basketball, maybe baseball, whatever. A lot of their first impression is a game that they've watched on TV. That is where they first maybe fall in love with the school or really warm up to the idea of of playing at a um, playing at a certain university. Right? There are legitimate stories of big time college football players choosing their schools based on game coverage. Um, Sean Alexander, uh, he's a very good running back in the NFL, big time star of the university of Alabama. He actually went to high school with my cousins in Florence, Kentucky, uh, years ago. Um, <clears throat> but he talks about how he became interested in going to Alabama because of watching, watching Alabama on Saturday nights, Saturday afternoon, and Saturday nights and watching, you know, seeing, um, I can't remember the name of their stadium, Br- Bryant Denny Memorial stadium, I think Bryant Denny, maybe, I don't know. Alabama fans, you feel free to correct me on that one. Um, but seeing, you know, seeing the stadium filled, seeing the, you know, the, the crimson helmets with the numbers and like he was, that's really where he fell in love with it was watching, was watching the, the crimson tide play football on TV before he had ever taken a visit with Alabama, before he had ever gone to a game, you know, to see a game up close in Alabama, it was on TV. Uh, Justin Fields, um, transferred out of Georgia when he transferred out of Georgia, he ended up going to Ohio state, obviously one of the reasons was, you know, at his first season in Georgia, and he was contemplating at that point in time leaving. Um, he caught the uh, he caught the whiteout game, uh, the Ohio State Penn State whiteout game, and was just like, man, you know, he was already kind of interested potentially in, in going to Ohio State and transferring to Ohio State, and then he saw that game and said, like, that looks like something that would be awesome to be a part of. That you know, so if I if I am interested in Ohio State, that would be a very cool atmosphere to play in. Um, so it had nothing, it wasn't a visit. It wasn't a coach's recommendation. It was what he saw on TV is, is what is maybe, you know, maybe he goes to Ohio state anyway, but it was one of those, like, that was like the thing that put him over the top. So the TV is really, really important for college sports. And and I'll give you, I'll give you something a little bit more anecdotal, but I think really does, really does sort of paint, fill in this picture a little bit more. Um, when Nebraska left the Big 12, um, gosh, it's been over a decade now. I, had, I, mean, I can't remember, maybe 2000, 2010, 2011 was the last time Nebraska was in the Big 12. 
Um, <clears throat> but when they left the Big 12 for the Big 10, they left that sort of coverage viewership bubble of the region of that, you know, Plains down into Texas region, right? And as Nebraska, because Nebraska, as, as the years went by, and Nebraska was on TV less and less in that region, other than like obviously Nebraska and Iowa, um, as Nebraska was on TV less and less in what would be their former footprint in the Big 12, their TV footprint in the Big 12, each year there were less and less kids from states like Oklahoma. There are less and less kids from Kansas. There are less and less kids from Texas because their games just weren't on TV in that region anymore. Um, in fact, I think I think they mentioned, I think it was like in 2020 or 2021, um, maybe I think it had to be 20, I think it was 2021, they remarked that it was the first time ever that Nebraska had, or at least since, probably since they started like tracking, you know, they, they really started tracking, uh, you know, where the recruits were, were coming from, but it was the first time in a very, very long time there were no Texas kids on Nebraska because they're basically are no Texas game or there are no Nebraska games being shown in Texas. And that was always a big recruiting ground for them, a big battle recruiting ground for them, you know, obviously with, with the Texas school, the Texas schools, but also with Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, those, those schools draw a lot of uh, Texas kids as well. And because Nebraska was removed from that, uh, from that viewership footprint, the, the well, the, the former world that they had going to Texas uh, dried up. It was just completely gone by 2021. So it's, vitally important to to college sports as well so um long a long-winded way of saying basically if these games are going to happen and there are more coming in college football and pro football there are more coming there's going to be a lot of exclusive college basketball games um that are going to be uh on on peacock and i can't remember what other network has can't remember what other streamer has um has these exclusive games but there's going to be more of them um there need to be there has to be a local option in place for the health of for the health of the the sport, for the health of the viewership, for the and really quite frankly for the health of TV. There needs to be, and more importantly for the fandom, there needs to be a local viewership option for all these streaming exclusive games. All right, so thanks for sticking with me with my streaming rant. <laughs> that was that went even longer than I thought it was going to go, um, but I, I do think it's I do think it's definitely a problem that is. It's it's one of those problems. I feel like it's going to get so far down the tracks, and it's going to be harder to, you know, after all these leagues sign the deals and stuff, it's going to be harder to sort of, um, excuse my French, it's going to be harder to unfuck than it was to fuck that into place, basically. Um, but you know, the 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 leagues never really learn their lesson, or I shouldn't say that this is exclusive to sports leagues, but big big entities, big companies never really learn their lesson until like it's like far too late. And I have a feeling that, like, you know, they're gonna what's what's gonna end up happening is one of these marquee matchups. Like, they're gonna move a they're gonna try for a smaller sort of marquee matchup. Like, a Duke North Carolina basketball game is gonna be one hundred percent on Peacock, and you're not gonna be able to see it in even in um, in North Carolina anywhere. Like, you're just not gonna be able to see it, let alone let alone outside the market. And then they're gonna float. Then they're gonna try to float like a. Oh hey, by the way, this year's um, this year's Notre Dame USC game is going to be exclusive on on Peacock or Hulu or YouTube TV or something, and they're then they're going to get their college football is going to get a rude awakening when viewership plummets to like almost nothing for what would otherwise be a marquee TV game, and you know instead in its place instead of you know instead of putting a 
a primetime Notre Dame USC game. Like <clears throat> instead it's like Stanford Purdue or something is, is the, is the alternative. And that Stanford Purdue game will probably outdraw uh, the, the streaming only Notre Dame USC football game. So uh, that's, what's going to happen. Uh, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to call my shot necessarily, but I think that's, what's going to happen. But let's get into the, the crux of this. And if you were paying attention to the, uh, if you were paying attention to the Instagram feed, you know that there's already some trivia questions up. Um, but this is going to, we're going to have some more trivia questions for you here. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit more. We're going to get into some more trivia questions here. There's going to be a little bit more of, um, some of these questions just come with a little bit more of an explainer and some more details and stuff like that. So, um, that's what we're getting into this episode as we, as we embark into our sports and our sports bonanza for this month. So let's start it off the same way that we started off. Um, we started off with the, uh, with the Instagram questions. Um, so on Instagram, I had asked about the Raiders and Diamondbacks. They, uh, they set the record for the lowest amount of uh, World Series wins between teams. In other words, the, the combined win total for the teams participating this past World Series was the lowest of all time. I asked about who, you know, who had that record previously. So, you know, who has this? So I guess at this point now, who has the second fewest win totals? Um, and I'm not going to spoil that here. That's for, that's for Friday. Um, so instead, I'm going to ask you the very simple, the inverse of that, very simple, straightforward question. Which World Series matchup had the highest combined win total between the two teams? Um, yeah, so this, again, this just which two teams combined for the, which two teams were the two winningest teams to ever partake in the World Series? Um, not going to give you too much time to answer this one. I will... I'll, I'll tell you what I, I will say this that it is a more it's a more modern it's a more modern World Series and and uh, that's one hint and your other hint is that you'll probably guess one of the teams that it just seems like it's very obvious one of the teams is very obvious but the other team might not be as obvious um, but uh, <clears throat> we will get into the, the the that'll be your that's your hint right now. Sorry, I'm, I'm stammering over my own uh, my own setup here. So, real quickly here, one more time: which World Series had the matchup with the highest number of total wins or combined wins between the teams? So, once again, last clue here: it's a more modern World Series, and one of the teams you will probably be able to guess, and the other one you might not be able to. All right, have you? Do you have your final answers locked in here? The World Series with the highest combined win total. The 1998 World Series, the New York Yankees versus the San Diego Padres. Um, and they combined for 212 total wins. Um, that's a lot of total wins, by the way. That's a lot of total wins. The New York Yankees, this is uh, one of the greatest teams in the history of baseball. Uh, the team that had quite literally had it all. They had speed, power, defense, great pitching, great bullpen. Uh, I mean, truly one of the greatest teams of all time. I, I would take the 98 Yankees, even though they didn't set, even though they, did, they didn't set the wins record, they came close to, you know, I think the two, two shy of tying, three shy of breaking the, the wins record uh, with 114 wins. I would take that 98 Yankees team up against literally any team of all time ever. I would take that 98 Yankees team. And they played a very good San Diego Padres team um, who won 98 won 98 games that year. Um, but they that 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 New York Yankees team 
and the, which actually began a run of um, of several World, World Series in a row there. That Yankees team was fantastic, top to bottom. Maybe you know, maybe not the they didn't have the best collection of power hitters, but they had several good power hitters. They didn't have the best average hitters, but they had several good average hitters. They basically that '98 Yankees team was great in many aspects, but had almost no weaknesses. And when it comes to baseball, I think that's really how you build a team um, because you play so many games. It's not necessarily about building. You know, if you have a good offense, it's not about making your offense better. It's about making your pitch, your pitching. Um, you know, it's about plugging any any of the holes that you have elsewhere. Whether it's the pitching staff, whether it's your defense, whether it's your bullpen, you want to like plug holes versus making versus augmenting something. Uh, whereas I think you can get away with it, especially like in football, if you have a good offense, you it, it, you can kind of get away with augmenting it as opposed to making your defense better. I mean, not that you don't want to make, not that you wouldn't want to make your defense better in a football team, but you can kind of get away with it if your offense is, is, is even better. Um, baseball just works differently because, because of how many games you play. Um, and I did, and I will say, I, I did sort of, um, I was curious about this, um, about this win total, if, if it would have changed. Because at first I had just looked back to the merger, or I should say the expansion era, so like from 1960 onward. Um, but really it's the, the highest win total really is, the highest and actually the lowest win total are are more recent um, recent records. Even when you expand and go back to um, to you know the pre expansion era of baseball, um, no other team. I think the 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 next closest uh, the next closest high total in wins is like two hundred and eight or something like that. So the nineteen ninety eight World Series was definitely a, a clash of titans. It just so happened that one titan was significantly better than the other. Uh, unfortunately for the San Diego Padre teams, so. Uh, for that San Diego Padre team. So <clears throat> once again, the answer here, the 1998 World Series, Yankees versus Padres, 212 total wins. That's a lot of wins. Moving on here to some college sports. Uh, yesterday, I, I previously asked who was the last three-peat champion in basketball. Uh, and we got another similarly straightforward question here. Who was the last three-peat champion in college football? And I am talking about Division One or FBS, uh, as it's called, or CFP, whatever you want to call it now. Um, the the football that you're thinking about, right? Like I, I don't care about I don't care about D two, D three, or some other you know you know pick your pick your other very very low um, college division. We're talking about the big boys here. We're talking you know the the we're talking the league that Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Florida play in, et cetera, et cetera. So, who was the last three-peat champion in college football? This one is significantly harder to get. Maybe this this record could be, uh, I guess, tied this year, or this. Uh, I guess it's not a record, but this um, this feat could be tied this year, as uh, you know, University of Georgia has won the last two national championships, and they are looking they're looking for a third consecutive uh, national championship. But also, would be a first in either the either the BCS or the college football playoff era as well. But, uh, but I, I, I do have a feeling that we're, I don't think that there is I, as good as Georgia is. I just don't think they're that dominant. I don't think they're dominant enough to get a three peat done. So I think, um, I think this, this particular team's uh, current sort of ownership of this record is safe for at least right now. So one more time, who is the last three peat champion in college football? And I'll give you, sorry, I didn't mean to do the dramatic pause. I'll give you one hint. It is, I'll give you two hints. 
It is not a team that you would ever expect, and it's not recently. Okay, you got that final answer locked in there? If you guessed the Minnesota Golden Gophers, you are correct, and you are probably a Minnesota Golden Gophers graduate because I have no idea who else would actually know that off the top of their head without doing some Googling of this. The Minnesota Golden Gophers were the last three-peat champion in college football, and if you knew the years as well, I'll assume that maybe you were there for this. Um, in which case, congratulations on still being alive. The last time that this happened was in 1934, 35, and 36. The Golden Gophers were national football champions. National college football champions. Um, obviously, there are. this was a, during an era when college football was very different. Um, when, you know, I'm, I'm sure Minnesota was playing some teams that, uh, probably don't even have, um, probably don't even have college programs anymore. Um, it's just, it's such a different era and it just goes to show you how, how much football has changed. Even really when you get to like the fifties and and sixties, how football really changes then. Um, because like that, that's when your real traditional powers that we think about now begin to emerge. That's when you're, USC's begin to emerge, Ohio State begins to emerge, Michigan begins to emerge, um, you know, and, and schools like the University of Chicago Maroons and Oberlin, the Oberlin College teams, like those teams begin to fade to the background, um, you know, pretty much about like 10 to 15 years after this era of football, when it was possible for the Golden Gophers to win three consecutive national championships. So definitely a different era of football. I don't think I don't think Georgia is going to get it done this year. Obviously, it could be very wrong. They're, they're a good team. They haven't lost in a while. But I just don't think Georgia can get it done this year. Um, and thus, the Golden Gophers will hold on for at least another year to their um, to their claim as the last 3 P champion in college football. Oh, what's that? We got a bonus college question for you. So I was kind of curious about... Um, you know, doing the doing the three P question for both basketball and football is kind of curious about um, some other streaks, some other long streaks in um, in collegiate sports because I think college sports lines up better better than pro sports in our country for um, you know for schools that might be able to put together um, you know long championship streaks. And I was correct. Um, so let's go ahead and, and throw this out there. This is this question. I I have to bring I had to put it this I had to bring this question up because this is incredible to me. Um but your bonus question here is what is the longest championship streak in all levels of collegiate sports? So we are talking D1, D2, D3. Um go ahead and, and rack your brain for this one. You will not get it. And I and I am talking all sports here as well. Um you're not gonna get this. I, I can pretty much almost assure you of this. But I but I will allow you the time to kind of think about it. So I'll give you a few seconds here for you to contemplate your answer. Okay, you've thought about it. What's that? No, no, you're incorrect. That's that's wrong. The correct answer for the longest championship championship streak in all levels of collegiate sports and in all collegiate sports, Kenyon College men's swimming and diving. That is Kenyon College right here in, uh, in Ohio, in Gambier, Ohio. It's outside of Columbus. Kenyon College men's swimming and diving won every single college title from 1980 to 2010. 31 consecutive t- 
title-winning seasons for Kenyon College men's swimming and diving. That is absolutely fucking absurd. Um, in fact, their women's program from about the same time period won 17 consecutive swimming and diving college championships. Um, so there was a there is a stretch there. Um, there's a stretch there at, at Kenyon College down in Gambier where um, I, I'm trying to, trying to find the overlapping years here real quickly. Um, so mind me scrolling as I do this. So there is an overlapping point in time where um, Kenyon and where Kenyon men and women's teams here trying to find here's the year. So the women's team went 1984 through 2000 winning every title. So from 1984 to 2000, both the men and women men and women's Kenyan swimming teams uh, were the only title winners there for that 17 year period. That is absolutely fucking absurd. Now when you get to more um, when you get back up to Division One and you then you get into more of the traditional sports, um, Arkansas won 12 consecutive um, indoor men's indoor track and field championships. Um, there's a um, I think the men's outdoor was uh, USC won nine consecutive back in the 30s. Um, women's track at LSU outdoor track at LSU won 11 consecutive uh, from the late 80s into the mid 90s. Um, I think that would have I think that would have overlapped with some like runners like Lolo Jones and some people like that that went to LSU. Um wrestling there's like um Iowa won nine consecutive titles from the late 70s into the 80s. Um there's a couple more here that there's a couple more long ones here in Division 1. Just got to find them real quick. Um women's lacrosse in Maryland won seven consecutive titles. Um I know there's one <laughs> Oh, I forgot about this one. Uh, men's golf at, at Yale won eight consecutive titles uh, before World War Two, World War One, and the Titanic. Before World War One started, and the Titanic sank. Um, men, uh, men's golf at Yale won eight consecutive titles. So the point being here that to put together some of these streaks, um, to put together um, you know a, a three-year title run at any collegiate program is really, really difficult. And you really got to get down into the smaller schools that have a chokehold, um, like a Kenyan college. Um, you know, there's some other, just some other small, when you go through here, there's some other small schools that have like these chokeholds on some of these sports. And that's really the only place you find like these super long streaks um, is, is really at the, at the lower collegiate levels. So there you go. There's your bonus, your bonus trivia question. Kenyan college, Men's swimming and diving, 31-year title stretch, 1980 through 2010. Absolutely absurd. All right, let's move on to some pro hoops for our next trivia question. Uh, <clears throat> so last year in the NBA, LeBron passed Kareem as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. In 1984, Kareem passed Wilt Chamberlain to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Who did Wilt surpass to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. So, in other words, here um, those are the pa- those are the past three men that have been uh, the all-time that have have had the the title of all-time leading scorer. Uh, it's really like this goes back to like the 1960s. Basically, it's just been three people. It's been LeBron very very recently, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar before him for a very long stretch, um, and then uh, Wilt Chamberlain before Kareem was the NBA's all-time leading scorer. So, who was the NBA's all-time leading scorer prior to Wilt Chamberlain. 
Any guesses? Any guesses? Go ahead and lock your answers in. If you guessed Bob Pettit of the Milwaukee slash St. Louis Hawks, you are correct. And I I picked this one because Bob Pettit has a lot of Bob Pettit has a lot of interest is a little interesting trivia machine uh, unto himself. Um, and it's really hard to find a direct comparison for Bob Pettit, but um, maybe he was he was maybe like the fifties and sixties version of Tim Duncan is really what Bob Pettit was. Power forward, big guy, six foot nine. Um, very athletic, uh, could, could fill it up, but I, I picked Bob Pettit and I wanted to talk about Bob Pettit specifically because he was the very first player in the NBA to score 20,000 points, which kind of seems, again, seems almost quaint given the, the rate of scoring, uh, that gets done now in the NBA, but he also only played in 11 NBA seasons and he never finished below scoring. He never finished below, uh, never finished below in the scoring race, he never finished below seventh in the NBA in scoring in his 11 NBA seasons. And he's the only player. Um, and there's another player that had, that has this distinction, but he only played like two seasons. So realistically speaking, Bob Pettit is the only player in the NBA to average more than 20 points per game and more than 12 rebounds per game in every single NBA season that he played. He was also the first NBA player to receive the MVP award. It, it you know, the, so he was the... Whenever I can't remember what year it was, 1956 or 57, maybe was the no, maybe it was 59, was the first year that they began awarding a Most Valuable Player award, and it but it went to naturally went to Bob Pettit, because Bob Pettit was you know again, probably this era's, probably this era's Tim Duncan or Carl Malone, someone of that ilk, um, so he was the first player to receive the MVP award in the NBA, and he's the I think he's one of only two players. I think he's one of only two players. I I, wanted, I should really should have double checked this, but I think he's one of only two players that has made all four NBA anniversary teams. So he made the NBA's 25th anniversary team, 35th anniversary team, 50th anniversary team, and 75th anniversary team. Bob Pettit is just one of those players that like he is a foundational important player to the NBA in the same way that Michael Jordan is a foundational NBA player. Um uh, George Mikan, you know, as like our first true big man is is a foundational important player. Wilton Kareem are foundational important players. Oscar Robertson and Bob Pettit. Those are he's one of those names that is a foundational player for the NBA. And uh and into and unto himself, Bob Pettit is kind of a, a mini uh, a mini walking trivia question. I think I think Bob Pettit is still alive. Let's do a double check on that. Um yeah, Bob Pettit still alive, ninety years old. Um, he was uh, ninety years old, uh, and he was the first. Uh, excuse me, he's the second overall pick in nineteen fifty four. So Bob Pettit was the uh, the first man, the man that uh, Wilt Chamberlain overtook for the to become the all time NBA's all time leading scorer. Um, and actually, bonus trivia, I guess. Suppose you know who Bob Pettit overtook to become the NBA's all time leading scorer. My guess is probably not. And it was Dolph Shays is who Bob Pettit overtook to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. So there you go. That's some party trivia for you right there. All right. So let's move on to some NFL trivia. I've already done uh, already done on Instagram a little bit of NFL draft trivia with the talking about Mr. Irrelevant. But let's get into something that concerns the quarterbacks um, because it is very interesting that quarterback play 
has been quarterback play is down in the NFL this year. And I, what I mean by that is that I, th- I want to say there's only 10 or 12 quarterbacks in the entire league this year that are averaging over 250 yards passing per game. And there are some high profile, there are some high profile quarterbacks who are, you know, while their teams are still winning, they're not really putting up the numbers that we're used to seeing. Like, you know, obviously the Chiefs are having a great season, but Patrick Mahomes isn't having a Patrick Mahomes type of season. The Eagles are winning, but Jalen Hurts has he's been physically injured a little bit, but also he just doesn't look like he's um, the same, quite the same player that he was that he has been the last couple of seasons. Um, Joe Burrow has finally knocked the rust off a little bit um, recently, but um, clearly the calf injury was limiting what he could do. But quarterback play by a broad stretch, and also doesn't help that there's a lot of rookies in the league this year, and a lot of um, I should say I shouldn't say there's a lot of rookies in the league. There's kind of the same amount of rookies in the league every year. But I mean, at the quarterback position, we're seeing a lot of rookies and otherwise inexperienced quarterbacks uh, take snaps and play entire games more so than we've seen in a long time. I, I remember a few years ago um, on the podcast we talked about you know was the era of like this this incredible quarterbacking era coming to an end, you know, with the, you know, at that point in time where we were thinking about Brady retiring, Roethlisberger retiring, um, Andrew Luck kind of surprised everyone and retired, um, you know, that those sort of quarterbacks that were coming, that are coming to the end. And I think it's safe to say that we have kind of finally crossed that, that particular bridge. Um, There's obviously still some, some good quarterbacks at play here. uh, But realistically speaking, I think we're, we're kind of done with the era where we had, these absolute record set record setter record setting record breaking type of quarterbacks um and while you know Patrick Mahomes is still around uh who knows what Aaron Rodgers has left in the tank um who knows what the future looks like for you know I I assume Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Tua still have you know still are going to output some are going to have some better seasons and go ahead and throw in Jalen Hurts there that they're going to have some better seasons but right now this year quarterback play not as great as it has been in the past. So this got me thinking about, you know, we're kind of expecting at this point just about every good quarterback to throw for about 4,500 yards. And, you know, with an extra game, it, it, that seems a little bit more likely than it did ever before. But we're not getting as many guys heading that direction as we used, as we would kind of, you kind of figure this season. So it did get me to thinking about, um, you know, old school quarterbacks and kind of the, what would have been a, a big passing threshold in in yes in NFL, in the yesteryear of the NFL? So, <clears throat> long way of saying here's your here's your trivia question for for the NFL here. Who were the first QBs to throw for three thousand yards? And there's your first hint. There's multiple QBs, and it was all in the same year. Um, oddly enough, but who were the first QBs to throw for three thousand yards? And I suppose if you get one of them, we'll we'll call that a correct answer. Okay, you've had enough time to think about that. So who were the first QBs to throw over 3,000 yards? Um, and you have to split this up because this was at a point in time before the NFL and the AFL merged. Um, and we still keep those records, both AFL and NFL records, as records, obviously. So the first QBs to throw over 3,000 yards were Frank Trapucka of the Denver Broncos, Jack Kemp of the LA Chargers, the one season LA Chargers, um, before they before they went to San Diego and then have obviously since returned. And Johnny Unitas of the Baltimore Colts. That name that name makes the most sense out of these names. Um, 
But those are your first three quarterbacks to throw for 3,000 yards in 1960. Um, yeah, this was, um, you know, this was a point in time, like 3,000 yards must have seemed like an awful lot. Now, in the AFL, um, of which the Broncos and the Chargers were members of, they were they were definitely a little bit more open to slinging the ball around and and doing that, you know, a little bit more open to that. That was the reputation of the AFL. And, you know, years later, obviously, um, you would get, after the merger, even still, even the AFL teams had, the, the AFL teams that were merged into the NFL still had that reputation as being kind of gunslinging teams. You'd have... You know Dan Fouts early on with the Chargers um, throwing the ball with in the in the air Coriel offense throwing the ball all over the place. Um, that was always the reputation reputation of the AFL teams. So it definitely would have been a big deal when um, when Johnny Unitas, um, you know, for the establishment Baltimore Colts also threw for three thousand yards. Um, but it's just it's just so funny to think about. Like it's just so funny to think about it now. If you have a quarterback that throws for 3000 yards in today's NFL, despite the fact obviously the the amount of games they played was, you know, was very, was vastly different. Even excluding that, um you really you really like you would you would be thinking that you have quarterback issues if your quarterback is only throwing for 3000 yards or even like really 3500 yards really isn't it feels like it's enough if you have a good running game or a great defense, but boy, it just, it's just funny how it's just funny how I really think it's just been in the last like 15 years that the 3000 yard mark for passing is almost expected of a quarterback who, who plays more than let's say like, you know, plays more than 12, 12 or 13 games. You should be, you should be able to hit the 3000 yard mark or come very, very close to it. If you're playing in at least three quarters of your team's games. And it seems like, it seemed like for a while there, if you weren't hitting, um, you know, if you were getting close to 4,000 yards, then, um, you know, you, you didn't have a top flight quarterback, but it's just funny to think in, in seasons prior to 1960, that it, it would have been very, very acceptable for your quarterback to throw for 2000 yards, you know, maybe even less. Um, and that's just bizarre to think about. I, I, I don't even know, what that would look like in today's NFL. I think the closest that we ever got to seeing that was Tim Tebow quarterback. And obviously, you know, there are people that will still pound their chest to say, Tim Tebow never got a shot. Bullshit. He got a shot. He just wasn't any good. Um, you know, his, he had a very fluky miracle run and that fluky miracle run proved that you can't play football. You can't play 1930s football, 1940s football in today's NFL and expect to win any games, expect to win many games. So there you go. Tangent over the first three quarterbacks to throw for 3,000 yards. Frank Trapucka, Jack Kemp, and Johnny Unitas. And you might remember Jack Kemp as Bob Dole's running mate in the 1996 presidential election, uh, in which they were stomped viciously by, uh, by Bill Clinton and Al Gore. Uh, Jack Kemp went on to have a very long and successful uh, career as a, as a politician uh, after his playing days in the NFL were over. So just a, additional trivia on Jack Kemp there. All right, we got to wrap our trivia up here with a little bit of hockey, some NHL. Talking about Connor Bedard, the the phenom for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I haven't caught one of his games yet, but uh, I have I have seen all the the Connor Bedard highlights thus far, and what a what a natural looking player! My goodness, he he does not look. And this is where we're going with this question. He does not look like an eighteen year old. Um, literally, someone who just turned eighteen in July. 
He does not look like he's that young. He looks like he looks like the kind of guy, even though he's not very big either, kind of a smaller guy, but looks like the kind of guy that was born to play hockey. It's pretty unbelievable seeing him out there. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned, Connor Bedard, one of the he's he is one of the youngest rookies in NHL history, not the youngest. Um, but he is, uh, you know, if you drop a list of like the, you know, the 20 youngest players to make their debut in the NHL, I believe he's like right inside that list. So, or might, might even be top 30. But regardless, Connor Bedard is one of the youngest rookies in NHL history. Certainly one of the youngest modern rookies, you know, in, in NHL history. Um, having just turned 18 in July. Um, I think literally like right after he's drafted, he turned 18. Um, so, but we're not going to talk about the young guys. We're going to talk about... Talk about guys like me. Talk about the old dogs. So let's let's invert this question here. Who is the oldest rookie ever to debut in the NHL? Go ahead and, uh, and lock in your answers. Okay, I see you're still writing over there. Um, not sure why you're writing this down at all. It's a, it's, you know, it's a computer. In it. Well, anyway, uh, I think that's enough time because you're not going to get this one. So who is the oldest rookie to ever debut in the NHL? And boy, what a great fucking name. Uh, that would be Cornelius Dennis Mad Dog Madigan, uh, better known as Connie Madigan. Connie Madigan was 38 years old, 38, when he debuted in 1937 for the St. Louis Blues. Um, Connie was a career minor leaguer. Uh, when he came up for the St. Louis Blues he in 1973, he played in 20 games, and then he played in another... Um, I, I want to say like a handful of playoff games before the, uh, the St. Louis blues were ousted. Um, but, uh, that was it. That, I mean, that literally, other than that one season that Connie Madigan came up, he was a career minor leaguer. Um, he, uh, hit, this is, his, these are his final tallies, uh, in his time with the St. Louis blues in three games play, or excuse me, in 20 games played regular season games played three assists, no goals for three total points in his NHL career. Um, and it's what's wild is there are there are definitely some rookies that made their debut in the NHL when they were like 31, 32, 33 or whatever. Uh, pre- the, uh, the the record that Madigan previously broke was like 34, 35, I think. But a lot of those players had full professional careers in, you know, in Russia or Finland, um, you know, before they came over. What really makes Connie Madigan kind of interesting is that uh, he's uh, he's Canadian. Uh, obviously, who isn't Canadian in the NHL, but he's Canadian and played in the AHL, the WHL, um, and several other like junior, um, local and junior uh, Canadian hockey leagues. And I, I say that that's interesting because it's, you know, it's not like those leagues in Canada are well known to, um, are well known to the NHL. Like they, they're not like directly affiliated. Well, actually now they are. 1970s wouldn't have been directly affiliated, but um, but certainly every NHL executive would have been keeping tabs on the AHL and the WHL and even some of the uh, the junior hockey leagues uh, in various provinces across Canada. And what I find very interesting is that um, that Madigan, Connie Madigan, played in all of these leagues, and never once before he was 38, he put in like 22 seasons total. I think is what his final tally is uh, in terms of being a professional. And obviously, those only those twenty games uh, in one season for the for the St. Louis Blues mark his only NHL um, experience. But it's just bizarre to me that he could have played that long without someone 
without someone with on an on an NHL club getting injured and him needing to come up. Um, at some point, just you know, uh, uh, you know, an expansion team or a new a newer uh, you know, a bad team needing bodies or something, um, and him being right in the backyard of the NHL, it's just very interesting and kind of strange that he managed to evade being called up until he was thirty eight. Um, you know, obviously, hey, way to stick to it. You know, if, I, I'm I'm sure he he must have enjoyed playing hockey quite a bit because otherwise, why would you put in that kind of time into such a like a physical sport? Um, and you know, you know, I, I think, I think one of the things Connie Madigan to me is one of those players and one of those trivia questions that kind of, it kind of helps you put things, puts things into perspective, how rare and how hard it is to play a professional sport. And the fact that he was lucky enough, you know, he put all this time into his craft and was lucky enough to get up into the NHL for, for 20 games with the St. Louis Blues really is it seems like you know it seems like it's almost like laughable like haha you only played 20 games there are thousands and thousands and thousands of hockey players that never played one game or one minute in the NHL or even for that matter there's thousands of of hockey players that never got out of their junior leagues that never got out of um you know maybe they played at small college someplace they just never got to any kind of professional level and like that's just hockey when you think about you know you think about football and baseball um there are some big time obviously the nfl is a little bit different but there are some pretty big time college players who could never make it a go of it in the nhl or excuse me the nfl um even though that that system is designed to get college players um up into the nfl as fast as possible there are number one you know top you know first round top draft picks top 20 draft picks in Major League Baseball that never got past single or double A. Um, and it's just one of those things that really puts into perspective how fucking hard it is to play a professional sport in any meaningful way. Um, that the fact that you, if you even got to the, the you know, the level of a double A, triple A in baseball, if you even got to play college football for, you know, even a school like where I went to school, Bowling Green, um, if you even got to play in the AHL or the WHL or you were, even a even a, a player of any note in like the Ontario Junior Hockey League that is still so much farther than most people who have ever put on skates have gone. So you know, Connie Madigan, just uh, an interesting trivia question, but also I think kind of an, an uh, a a pretty a pretty significant reminder of just exactly how hard professional sports actually are. All right, that wraps up this episode. I'm gonna. Get out of here on on this on this sort of crossover question. And I think it's more of a crossover um, project or crossover homework. I guess um, is to how to. I love doing the trivia stuff, but I want to like I want to figure out how to gamify this a little bit more to get um, a little bit more audience participation because I do love it when we get good comments and you know people interact with us on social media or elsewhere. Um, I really enjoy that. So I, I, this is more. I guess this is more me thinking out loud about how to um, possibly gamify trivia or gamify certain aspects of the show to make it a little bit more interactive for everyone. Um, so that's sort of just the the ongoing question that I have for myself. Maybe you have some ideas you want to weigh in there. Go ahead and go ahead and make note of that in the comments if you'd like. But that's the thing that one of the things that I'm going to be kind of contemplating as um, as this month uh, as this month goes on is how to to how to make this just a little bit more interactive for everyone out there. 
But that's it for this episode. Uh, we will see you next time. Or oh, thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Um, please, uh, you know, like, subscribe, share this with all your friends. Leave some reviews on Apple on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. Um, that would be fantastic. But uh, thanks again. We will see you next time um, when we get into. Uh, we'll have the best of the best next week, and uh, I'll, I'll detail a little bit of that. I'll detail that when we get to the episodes, but next week will be the best of the best, and uh, you'll see what we have in store for that. Um, but until next time, oh, we're going to have, uh, sorry, I almost forgot there. Tomorrow we will have the answers to the original set of trivia questions I put out online. Uh, so that'll be coming for, that'll be coming on Friday, and then obviously after that we'll have the best of the best week. Uh, following uh, following that and then we'll be getting into some other stuff after that so it's gonna be a fun month uh thanks for listening thanks for downloading and we will catch you on the flip side later